Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. I forgot to thank some of you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was invited to a church I'd worked at uh, 20 years ago. Um, they were having their 175th anniversary of, of that church being started. It started in 1844. I got to work there in 99 and 2000. But I was sitting in a worship service, and somebody in this room said, Hey, why don't you text Dale and wish him a happy birthday? So while I'm sitting in this small country church, enjoying worship, the preaching's going on, all of a sudden, my phone started going, (laughs) of course, I did not have access to the phone, it was in a pocket, so I'm frantically searching, and everybody is, of course, hearing and looking Where is that coming from? So what I did is I clicked it off in my pocket and looked at the next guy. (laughs) 175 years, that uh, shows some staying power. This small country church, now um, it is only located if you know the two one-lane country roads that lead to it. It's kind of landlocked. Uh, very difficult, and this church, uh, very difficult to find. Google Maps, until a couple of years ago, could not find this church. It would take you around in the area, but it couldn't find this church. And uh, they are very excited because after 175 years in the same location, they have decided to move to a better location, one that's on a main thoroughfare, one that people can invite and say, hey, come to this church, and even Google Maps can find it. Um, and it's a road that leads into Hodgeville, Kentucky. People are going to be able to see this church from the road, and they'll have plenty of room to expand, plenty of room to grow. They have uh, got the designs of a new facility um, that's going, you know, the, the older facility is getting older. The older facility is about 100 years old, and it's starting to have some major problems. Um, the repair on the facility they're in is going to cost about half as much as it's going to cost to build a new facility on new property. Now, this was a hard-fought battle for them to decide to move. Uh, And I know this because 20 years ago, when I was there as a youth minister, they started the discussion of whether they should move or not. And all the reasons to move were there. So they needed a better location. They wanted people to be able to find their facility. They wanted to have room to grow. They needed to expand their sanctuary because uh, they were full. And even if guests showed up, they didn't really have a seat to sit. And they just knew that they would have excitement to be able to invite somebody and people be able to find them. And um, the discussion 20 years ago about why they couldn't move came down to two reasons. And these are beautiful people. I love these people. It was so good to see good friends. But there were two reasons. And these two reasons 20 years ago broke my heart. And they still had the same argument when they finally voted to move. And, and it almost didn't pass. Two reasons. One, we must take the stained glass windows with us or we can't move because the church had some beautiful stained glass windows. And number two, my mom and dad are buried in the cemetery connected to the church property. Okay, just a little secret. Their mom and dad is not there. They're not in the grave. That old husk is there. The old body is there, but... They are not there. 
So what tends to happen, and everybody does this, what tends to happen is we start getting mixed up on what we are to worship. This has a tendency to happen. And we end up taking the very good gifts of God that he gave us, and we start worshiping them instead of worshiping him. It's called idolatry. And whereas the stained glass windows in this church are beautiful, and whereas the cemetery has a lot of um, nostalgia, they'd allowed nostalgia to paralyze them for 20 years before they made the decision to move. Instead of focusing in on the hope that Christ gives them that would energize them to make a difference, a bigger difference. They're already making a difference in their community, but a bigger difference in their community. Sometimes we would have that same problem, and this is not a new problem. This problem exists all the way back in the beginning, and when we look in Exodus chapter 32, we find this same problem where we take a good gift from God and we change it and it becomes an idol. Now, not all idols are carved or made of stone or precious metals. And we're going to talk about that in just a second, but what I'd like for you to do is turn to Exodus chapter 32 where you can see this problem manifesting itself. And then... um, We'll talk about why we are supposed to read the Old Testament. There's lots of good reasons to read the Old Testament. Uh, The Old Testament points to Jesus. The Old Testament explains who God is. The Old Testament tells us where we came from, um, how we became followers of Christ. But there are two incredibly good lessons the Old Testament constantly teaches us. One is warnings, and the other is encouragement. We should always read the Old Testament to see Jesus, but we should also read the Old Testament to gather in the warnings it has for us so that we don't fall to temptation or to sin and the encouragement it gives us that God is a faithful God who always keeps his promises. And those things are found in Exodus chapter 32. Now, if you could be patient with me, I'm going to read the entire chapter and then we'll break it down into those warnings and those encouragements that are found here. Warnings, encouragements. Um, A little background, the... Israelites have come out of Egypt. There were the ten plagues. There was the crossing of the Red Sea. And they have come to the mountain of God where uh, Moses has received the ten commandments. He's explained those commandments to his people. They've all said, we will obey. We'll do whatever God tells us. We remember what God did for us in Egypt. We're going to obey him. He is a God unlike any other spiritual beings that we've ever met. He is truly the one all-powerful creator. That's what they've responded with. And so God says to Moses, come back up on the mountain. I'm going to give you stone tablets to take back. Not just the words, not just the explanation, not just something that you wrote down. I'm going to give you something that I wrote right on. And so Moses goes up on the mountain and it's, it's an incredible sight to behold. The people are only allowed to go so close to the mountain. On top of the mountain, it looks like fire, and there's smoke that has settled on. And Moses enters into that, and he's gone 40 days as God continues to reveal his will to him. And it says that God takes his finger, and he writes on two stone tablets, front and back, the Ten Commandments. And this is where we kind of pick up the history. Chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw... That Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. That was Moses' brother, kind of like the, the, the priest of the group, second in command. 
and said, hey, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your son, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, the people said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But no, Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to do, wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce angle, anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's sound of war in the camp. And Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them to this such a great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. They gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you have, brought, you have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now we'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. And the Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead the people to the place I've spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, 
I will punish them for their sin. That's a pretty intense chapter in the Bible. You know, when we study the book of Exodus and we hear about the Ten Commandments and the burning bush and the plagues over Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea, and uh, we even sometimes focus, we'll focus on uh, maybe receiving the instructions on how to make the tabernacle, the place they were going to worship. A lot of times we don't hit this chapter, or maybe we just hear about how they created an idol. But there are two huge lessons in this chapter that are for us. They're examples, they're lessons. Uh, one is the warnings that God gives about idolatry, and the other is the encouragement God gives, and we'll get to both of those. Uh, first, I want to point out to you, warning number one, seek God or you will seek sin. This lesson for the Israelites, they stopped seeking God and they started seeking sin is the same lesson that we need to learn and we need to be careful to obey God or we will fall into sin. If we're not careful, at the first opportunity that we are not focusing ourselves on God, we will focus ourselves on something else that we make into a God. God had already given them commandments. He'd already given them the Ten Commandments. They had learned the Ten Commandments They had said, we'll obey the Ten Commandments. You know the commandments. Don't have any other God before me. Don't have any other God with me. Do not make any idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie and do not covet. The very first two have no other gods. Remember, there's all these spiritual beings that the Egyptians would worship. And that the Canaanites and Amorites, all the people in the surrounding areas, they would worship these real spiritual beings, demons behind the idols. And they called them gods, gods with a little g. They're not the God. God created those spiritual beings. They rebelled against him. And God said, don't worship them. You worship me. Have no other gods before me. And then very clearly, he says, do not make an idol. Nothing in the heavens, nothing on earth, nothing on the earth. Don't design an idol. Don't bow down and worship it. Don't do this. And they turned from God's commandments, and that's when they fell into sin. Now, there might be some very good rationalization going on. Moses has been gone a really long time. He's their leader. He is their mediator between God and them. They know Moses talks to God, Yahweh, in their place and Moses will come down and explain what God has said and he is not there anymore well what's God up to he didn't tell them his plan on what they're going to do next so they might rationalize we don't know what the next step is so we need to take things in control ourselves they had just come from Egypt one of the main gods in Egypt was in the form of a bull calf And the Egyptians thought that this God would appear to them in a bull calf. They would worship the calf because they thought if they worship this bull, they're worshiping the God that they want, a God of fertility, a God of blessing, a God of promise. And that when they would kill the calf after 20 or 30 years, the God would reincarnate, his spirit would just move to another bull. And they'd bring that bull over and they would worship it. So they were familiar with the worship of a bull And that is the form a God would take. Maybe they rationalize, this is what we're kind of used to. We know how to do this. 
So let's make an exception. But what I think what it boils down to is they stop trusting God. You know, God doesn't tell us the big plan. He tells us he'll be with us. He tells us he will transform us so that we can be like Christ and go help others. He tells us that we can trust him in good and bad situations. But he doesn't tell us what tomorrow will bring. He doesn't always reveal his plan. But he says, trust me. While Moses was gone for 40 days, they stopped trusting God. Because they didn't know the next step. I think we have a tendency to do that. It's a theme that travels on from the beginning of Adam and Eve all the way to us. When we don't know what's going to happen the next day, we start taking things into our own control and start doing things our own way instead of trusting God that he is going to provide the right path. And I think there's a danger when we stop seeking God and we stop obeying his commands that we fall into sin. I think a second warning that we need to be aware of. And so this is a warning where we don't sin. This is a warning where we learn the commands of Christ, where we see what we're supposed to obey, where we learn how to love God and love others. One way um, we kind of determine which commands we continue to follow, one really broad view of this, and it's there's some nuances, and so it takes some more study. But just a basic application would be any command repeated in the New Testament are the commands that we are supposed to follow. And Jesus says, hey, a new command I give you, like the 11th commandment. He said, love one another as I have loved you. If you follow that command where you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love others just like Jesus loved you, you'll probably be pretty obedient to all of God's commands. If you love God more than you love anything else, and you love others like Jesus has loved you, you know, you sacrifice what you want, you sacrifice your feelings, you sacrifice your rights so somebody else can know Christ, so that you can forgive somebody else. If you do that kind of love, you're going to obey all of God's commands. I think the second warning we need to see, though, is that if we fall into sin, if we disobey God, if we start seeking out another idol, the judgment for sin is the death penalty. This is a warning that we need to take seriously. Let me read you the death penalty judgment that God gave in Exodus 32, 9 and 10. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. By the way, whatever you worship, whatever has become your God, we're going to talk about what idols are in just a second, you become like that God. Bulls have a tendency to be stiff-necked, so you put something around their neck and you try to lead them somewhere, and they just strain against it. I've got this dog at home that I put the collar on, the leash on, and I say, we're going to go this way, and that dog goes, no, I'm going to go this way. This is an 85-pound dog, and sometimes if she decides to go this way really quickly, she'll pull me off my feet. When we become like the things we worship, we stiff neck. We're going to go the way we want to go no matter what. Dow Tippett, he says, you know what happens to bulls that are stiff necked? They become barbecued. When we pull against God, he says, there's going to be a judgment that comes on you. And the judgment will be the death penalty. 
I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. This is the same judgment that God has given since the beginning of time. The death penalty judgment happens when we sin and we pull against God and we go our own way. Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit of the, knowledge, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God says, if you eat of this tree, and the Hebrew, the Hebrew translation should be, in our, in our version it says, surely you will die. It actually says, dying you will die. And that phrase, dying you will die, is used 49 times in the Old Testament, and it's always connected. We want to understand, what does God mean when he says, dying you will die? If you eat of this tree, dying you will die. We want to understand what that means. Just look at the other times it's used in the Old Testament. 49 times, 47 out of those 49 times, it's used as a judgment declaration of the death penalty. You've been judged and found wanting. You've been judged. You have found, you've been found a sinner. And so the death penalty is going to follow. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve. God judged them. They were sinners. And he gave them the death penalty. This is what happened um, in the days of Noah. God found all the world. They were doing evil. Everyone was doing evil. He judged them. They were going to receive the death penalty. And they did. 120 years later, the flood came and it killed every human being. This is the same phrase that uh, the sin of Abraham in Genesis chapter 20. Abraham, he, him, him and his wife Sarah, they were traveling. And uh, this king, Abimelech, came and said, uh, Abraham said, Oh, that king might think you're really attractive, Sarah. So just pretend you're my sister. And the king came and he saw Sarah and he said, Oh, that lady's really attractive. I'm going to take her for my harem. And Abraham let her go. He lied about it. And God appeared to Abimelech in a dream. He said, if you consummate with Sarah, dying you will die. I will judge you guilty and I will kill you. Dying you will die. Same phrase. Abimelech said, I haven't touched her. And God said, if you do, dying you will die. Abimelech gave her back to Abraham and said, Abraham, why did you do this to me? Why, Why did you lie? This is the sin that Israel battled their entire existence And the judgment for sin is the death penalty. It's the same penalty for us. Uh, Israel, when they got ready to go to the promised land, um, and they saw the Canaanites, how big they were, and they saw uh, the Amalekites, how big they were, and they saw uh, uh, the people of Jericho, how big they were, they said, hey, we can't go in there. And God said, why didn't you trust me? Dying, you will die. And all the adults in that generation, the ones that Moses is leading right now, died in the wilderness. Dying, you will die. They received judgment and then the death penalty. This is the same judgment and death penalty warning that God gives us. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. When we take matters in our own hand, we start worshiping things that we shouldn't. We start putting things in place of God. And we rebel. We do things our own way. We're stiff-necked. God warns us with the death penalty warning. You will receive the death penalty if you continue down this road. This, this sin problem that the Israelites had in chapter 32 is the same sin problem we, we struggle with. We want to rule ourselves. We rebel against any authority beyond ourselves. We want it our way with our own selfish desires. And we disobey God and we worship other gods and use his creations and gifts as idols. Now, you might think, I've never made an idol. 
I've never taken my gold off, melted it in the fire, shaped it into anything. I've never bowed down and worshipped anything. Well, idols don't have to be uh, carved images. Idols are anything that we place in, in, in God's place, anything we worship. And, there, and so I'll make, I'll, I have a list. Here's a bunch of things. Uh, a lot of them are just gifts God has given us that we turn into idols. And then I'm, I have a test for us to see if, any, if we have any idols. Here's a list. Pleasure and comfort can become an idol. And that pleasure and comfort can come in any various forms. It can be sex, food, drugs, anything that comforts us, anything that we find pleasure in. If anybody is ever a stress eater, man, I'm really stressed out. I'm going to go eat some ice cream because it's going to make me feel better. What we're doing there is we're saying ice cream is going to comfort us, and we use ice cream for comfort instead of turning to God for comfort. Ice cream has become my idol. I mean, your idol. Our routine. Don't change my routine. I have to do it this way. Our kids, our family, material good, my goals for the future can become my idol. I, when the iPad came out, I just had to have an iPad. I just knew it would help me so much in my ministry. I could have thousands of books on my iPad. I could preach from my iPad. I could put my sermon on my iPad. I could carry it everywhere I went. It's like having a library everywhere I go. And I started saving money for an iPad. And it occurred to me that the iPad had become my idol. I'd saved about 300 bucks at the time. And one of my friends said, I've got some medical bills I can't pay. About 300 bucks. And I had this choice to make. Am I going to keep saving for my idol or am I going to help somebody? And I realized in that moment it had become my idol. I had geared all my thoughts and attention toward the iPad and all my thoughts and attention to saving for that iPad and I was everything that iPad was going to do. And I said, God, forgive me. I took that cash, took it to my friend and said, hey, use this for your, for your medical bills. I'm so glad I can help you. A week later, after it had gotten out of my system, I don't really need an iPad. I can preach without an iPad. I, I got, uh, somebody gave me an iPad. But it was only after I gave it up as an idol that I received the gift that I could enjoy for God's work when it wasn't my idol. We use health or beauty or clothing or jewelry or tools. Uh, America, we, we have a, a tendency to make guns our idol. Individualism, individual rights, church buildings, stained glass windows, cemetery next door, church furniture. See, when we start worshiping the system that when we came to Christ, that was the system in place, and we start worshiping that system, that becomes our idol instead of worshiping Christ as our idol. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, cars, fame, and celebrity. Our kids love to have themselves noticed on Facebook and Instagram. They don't use Facebook. Instagram and TikTok, and I don't know what any of these words are. But they love being noticed, and the fame and celebrity can become their idol. College sports, pro sports. How about this? Getting completely wrapped up in earthly matters. 
You can talk for hours and hours about what's going on in politics or what's going on in your city or what's going on with your neighbor. But if you ask to be talked about Jesus, you can't talk for but a couple of minutes. One of those things has taken the place of the other. So we need to test ourselves. Ask yourself these questions. Because it's a fine line between I am interested in something or I'm enjoying the gift of God and it's become my idol. So we need to ask ourselves and compare our interests and our love and our devotion to the interest and love and devotion we have for Jesus. How much time and attention and devotion do I spend with Jesus or my interests? Do I have unquestioned loyalty to my interests? Can I even have a discussion about it? If I can't have a discussion about it without getting mad, it's probably become a God to me because God deserves unquestioned loyalty. What's my passion and intensity for my interests? What's my passion and intensity for Christ? How much money am I spending on my interests? How much money am I spending on Christ? Do I have public signs of devotion for my idol? Emblems, clothing, hats, t-shirts. See, there's this fine line. We are, going, we are allowed to enjoy the gifts God has given us, but we're not supposed to worship our, them. So in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Here's a harder test. Test of idol. I'll ask these questions quickly. What has left you feeling most disappointed? Have you put your hope in something besides God? Is there something going on in, your, on in your life that has disappointed you so great, it has led you to depression because you put your hope in that thing and then when it was gone, you had no comfort? Well, that might be an idol. What do you complain about the most? Often what we complain about is what we put our hope in. Hope for comfort or satisfaction. It might be an idol. What is your biggest investment? Often our our greatest investments are our sacred idols. House, education, food, entertainment, work. Maybe you define your life by your success. What are you worried about? What are you scared of losing? What are you terrified of losing? Success, friends, meaning, significance, identity. All of those things can be an idol. And where do you go when you are hurt and need comfort? Because where you go for comfort is often your idol. What makes you mad? What makes you lose control? Are you looking for respect from your spouse or victory from the game? You get so mad you just lose your control. What do you dream of? What are you most passionate about? Every goal that we have has a danger of becoming an idol. What encouragements mean the most to you? Do you need the boss who says, we couldn't do this without you? Your spouse couldn't do this without you? Your mom, great job. Your kids, dad, I'm proud of you. We live for someone else's approval and applause. That has become our idol. There's a danger there anyway. That list is from Gods at War by Kyle Eidemann. I think it's a good test. I think we ought to test ourselves on this because there's a danger when we take our attention off of God and off of obeying him that we're going to fall into sin. 
there's a danger when we start stop trusting him and stop looking for him for comfort that we're going to go to other things for comfort and that'll kill us we're not going to get to encouragements i think there's a way to counteract idols we can't get rid of food we need it and we're not supposed to get rid of all the good gifts god has given us we've commanded to actually enjoy them so how do we keep them from becoming an idol we have to replace them with something greater than the idol and that something greater is jesus christ we need to learn who he is the more clearly we understand who Jesus is, the more clearly we understand God. Jesus is the exact representation of God. If you want to know what God is like, you want to know how God acts, you want to know how God thinks, focus your attention on Jesus. That's why, one of the reasons God sent him to us, so that we know exactly what God is like. Uh, uh, Wednesday night we had a class a couple weeks ago um, on one of our small groups, and we talked about what do you think of God when you think of God? And all these discussions went up about what they thought of God. And the person who had an abusive father, they think of God the Father as an abusive father. The person who had a distant father, they think of God the Father as a distant father. The person who didn't ha had a good relationship with their father, they think of God the Father as that relationship. But God sent Jesus. Nobody thinks Jesus is abusive or distant or, or stern or mean. They, we just love Jesus. God says, this is what I'm like. This is who I'm like. And if we can find our satisfaction and hope in Jesus, and we do it by learning more about him, focusing in on him, meditating on him, loving him, praying to him, asking him for help, putting, living like him, serving like him, the more we learn about Jesus, the more we'll be able to replace those idols in our heart with him. Make a commitment to Jesus. Remind yourself daily of this commitment. Pray in the morning and in the evening. Jesus, I'm committed to you. Submit to him. Repeat daily uh, the prayer of Jesus or the commandments of Jesus. Stop and schedule times in your day to think about Jesus and pray to him. If you're not in the habit of doing, you've got to build that habit. Confess to God. Confess to friends or a friend. Fast from food. Go on a food fast. Skip a meal every day for a week. The next week, skip two meals. Practice fasting. Don't just jump in and go, I'm going to go on a 10-day fast. Practice maybe once a week. Then twice a week. Learn how to fast. When you go on a fast from food, what you'll discover is that Jesus Christ will actually satisfy you. And food is just a gift that he allows you to have. And you'll actually discover that Jesus Christ will sustain you. And you fall in love with Jesus more. Share with someone what Jesus has done for you. If you want to replace your idols, you want to stay focused on Jesus, you have to know what he is about. And you get to share this. You get excited about it. Jesus' life paid for your life with his life. That's the redeemed. He bought you and he paid for it. That's the ransom with his blood. He set you free from sin. He broke the chains, allowed you to be free. Sin will not have control over you. Uh, when we're saved, he declares us not guilty. He makes our souls clean. He looks at us and he sees Christ's perfection covering us. And so we are made clean. We're declared clean, but we still live in these bodies. So we're still in the presence of sin. But Jesus says he gives you the power over that sin. 
He sets you free, and he's given you power over sin. He's declared you not guilty. That's justification. He gave you a new family you can be a part of. That's adoption. He reconciled you to himself. Before we know Jesus, we're enemies of God. But when we're in Jesus, we're made friends with God. He gives us eternal life. He allows us to begin changing ourselves from the inside out. He transforms us to look like the perfect human, Jesus Christ. He unites us to himself. He enters into humanity so that he becomes like us, so that we can become like him. He forgives you, and he empowers you to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is all from Jesus Christ. We want to talk about what Jesus has done for us. We can actually talk for a long, long time. And if you start sharing this with others, you're going to get excited about it, and they're going to get excited about it, and you're going to start being transformed more, and they're going to transform them just by talking about Jesus. And the more you focus on Jesus and what he has done and who he is, the more you're going to become like him because you're going to be worshiping him. And the more you'll be able to replace those idols that we find in our lives. Two warnings. If you don't seek God, you're going to seek sin. And the penalty for sin is death. Here are two encouragements, very quickly. Encouragement number one, intercession is powerful and effective. Study it for yourselves. But I love this prayer of Moses. Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. God wants us to intercede for others. I'm not going to read the passage again because I'm, I'm moving quickly. We always appeal to God's character and his faithfulness in our interceding. He wants all men to be saved. So I intercede for my family and friends who don't know Jesus. I intercede for myself. But Moses stepped in between God and the people, and he prayed. This is an encouragement for us because this is what Jesus does for us. In Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 34 and 35, it says this, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one condemns you when you're in Christ. Well, I feel guilty about what I did. You're not condemned. You're not judged. You have Christ. Who is it then, that one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Just like Moses did. And Christ, interceding for us, relies on faithfulness and character. He wants all men to be saved. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And God wants us to intercede as well. What will your response be? And second encouragement, God gives us opportunities to repent. That idol test really hits home with me. And God gives me opportunities to repent. Look at this passage of scripture in Exodus 32. Moses, verse 25, saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. Verse 26, so he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. This is your opportunity to repent. God gives us this opportunity. He's given us this opportunity right now. It's the same opportunity he always gives his people, but it's not always there. There does come a time where it's too late to repent. That's why the opportunity is right now. As long as today is today, repent. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 and 20, God says to these people, this is what he says to them, 
This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life that you and your children may live. This is the opportunity to repent. Joshua gave the people when they went in the promised land. Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What's your response? Are you going to serve God or serve your idol? Are you going to become more like Christ or more like your idol? What is your response? Because the opportunity to repent is now. Moses stands at the entrance of the camp. He says, all who are for the Lord come to me. This is the same opportunity God gives us. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes will have the gift of eternal life. This same opportunity found in Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. God gives us this opportunity to repent. Christ says to the church at Laodicea, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm a rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me. Gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. White clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And to solve, to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Two encouragements. Intercession is powerful and effective. God gives us a chance to repent, and the opportunity is now. When we take communion every week, this is, what, this is the warnings and encouragement that goes on. We're getting ready to move into a time of communion, and the men will pass the bread and the cup. And while we're taking the bread and cup, we are commanded to examine ourselves before the Lord. Ask those hard questions. Is there something else in my life? Is there something else in my church? Is there something else in my family? Is there something else in my work? Is there something else that I spend more time and more energy thinking about, spending money on, and attention and devotion than I do with Christ? Examine yourselves in communion time. What you'll probably find is that you are with the Israelites and you are with me. There are things in our life that we have allowed to get in the way of our worship of Christ. And so we take that bread and we take that cup and we remember the encouragement. Jesus is interceding for us and has ultimately interceded for us on the cross. When he died, he took our sin away. When he gave his life and his blood he covered over our sin and made us not guilty. Intercession is powerful and effective. And as we take that bread and we drink that cup, we're allowed to repent. We're allowed to turn from what we've been doing and turn back to Christ and focus on him. His resurrection proves that it's all real, it's all true, and that we can have a new life that is different than the life we've been living. All that in the time of communion. Warning, 
and encouragement. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity where we get to commune with you, where we are united with your body and blood spiritually in communion. Thank you for this opportunity that we unite ourselves with other Christians in this room. And I ask that you would allow us to examine ourselves and turn to you, remembering what you've done for us, for forgiveness and new life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.